This is Howard Anderson, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. We're talking today with Rebecca Bush, President and CEO of Medical Business Associates, a healthcare consulting, audit, and forensic services firm. Thanks for joining us today, Rebecca. Thank you. Based on your experience, what are the most important steps that health insurers can take to prevent fraud, and which technologies play a key role in the prevention effort? That's a great question, and I think I'm going to start off with a foundation perspective first. When you're looking at a fraud risk assessment, because that's in essence um, what you're asking me, there's two perspectives to look at it. One is by market entity, and the second is by market player. And you've heard of the terms B2B, C2C, B2C, and then C2B. I'm going to give you an example of how that would impact a, a fraud risk assessment from each one of those perspectives. But the first step is just to have a, a fraud risk assessment form and have relevant questions and red flags that you can create for yourself. And technology without a question uh, plays a critical role because we are a high-volume, high-cash business, and the amount of labor associated with an individual review will, will remain in a constant um, pay-and-chase form and will never catch up. Are there particular technologies that play the most important role in the prevention effort? Yes. Uh, I would call them um, relational database or generalized audit software type activity where you have some basic level algorithms that you're running across. For example, for an insurance company, it would be uh, a claim file. Uh, the, the claims that are being submitted into their system for payment. And they could include simple things like address profiles or diagnosis profiles or, golly gee, this provider is treating patients uh, at a volume of 100 patients per hour, seven days a week. So there's some basic just tests that you could run to look for anomalies. Or the general term that I like to use is uh, what's normal. And anything outside of that is abnormal and deserves attention. The same thing would be for the provider. We all read the papers every single day. There's a huge concern with access to health insurance. So what are some ways that individual uh, consumers can take advantage of this or manipulate the system? And one of the fastest growing areas is medical identity theft. So an example of C2B type fraud, you know, from the, from the individual consumer is a consumer going to a hospital, for example, misrepresenting their identity using someone else's to get healthcare benefits. So in each, in each level of a market player, and I'll define those for you, the patient, the provider, the insurance company, the plan sponsor, whether it's Medicare or an employer providing benefits or any vendors like pharmacies or, or durable medical equipment, each one of them can experience fraud internally, and then each one can have a, a B2B or a C2B type interaction where someone could take advantage of those. So the technology portion would be looking at your business and the data that you collect and looking for any aberrant um, patterns that should say, hey, something different is going on here. We need to take a closer look at that. How do fraud detection strategies differ in the insurance setting versus the hospital or clinic or other provider organization setting? The insurance industry is, is at a different level than the provider market. And what I mean by that is 
addressing fraud prevention or risk assessment is something that's been active in the uh, market going back 20 years. And they're constantly on the offensive looking for, for example, uh, providers or claimants submitting false claims. Provider market is still catching up. And usually they're on the defensive, being concerned from a compliance perspective that they're going to be accused of fraud. And I'm not sure many of them are as prepared in which uh, for the expectation that a fraud may be committed against them. Here's a perfect example. Uh, there's a 10% rate floating around in the U.S. market about counterfeit medications or diluted medications. And you have people who are trying to sell it to a provider. So you have people or entities trying to sell bad products. That's an example where a provider can be a victim. And I already gave you an earlier example of a patient that's representing their status of coverage. That is where a provider can be a victim. So you have, and those are also both examples of external fraud. The most frustrating fraud probably for any of these market players is internal. Uh, and again, I'll use um, identity theft because that works for providers and payers. You can have an employee within stealing people's files and selling them. Uh, that That's a huge problem that they have to prevent. And technology, for example, comes into play for protection of identity. If you have any type of electronic system, you really need to test your audit trails and your user ID access. So are the user IDs truly designed on a need-to-know basis for the employee to do their work? And do you have any kind of algorithms or tests that you run to see if an employee deviates from their um, type of work in accessing information that they should not? Now, should fraud prevention uh, be included as an integral part of the broader risk management efforts at both provider organizations and insurers? I think fraud risk assessment should be uh, a key area, uh, especially when you're in a market where you have a lot of people struggling financially, individually, as well as organizations. Unfortunately, that type of environment creates an atmosphere where people who would normally not walk into that gray area, if they see an opportunity, they may easily rationalize taking that risk. And sometimes the people who fall into that bucket, they're having some type of life crisis and they think, you know, I'm just going to borrow money uh, in this format for a little bit. And then once they start borrowing it, the mind has an amazing ability to rationalize behavior and choices and they continue to take that step. And I can tell you from my experience uh, in working with people and organizations, when people do plot a particular fraud or scheme, they may identify the mechanics, they may look for the opportunity, the vulnerabilities of an organization or an individual, but at the end, they never conclude with, and this is what I'm going to do when I get caught. So that particular piece is often missing from the logic, and when people do things under duress, they often make a lot of mistakes. That's where the opportunities for effective internal controls and technology come into play, to look for those um, weaknesses and in, in how people make decisions and how they access information. Do you anticipate medical identity theft might decline as a result of federal health care reform, which could lead to more Americans having insurance coverage so they don't need to seek it out fraudulently? I actually think things are going to get worse before they get better. Anytime we introduce change, we go through a, a growing pains. 
and the health care reform package and many of the evolving IT initiatives, you, you have new rules that are coming into place, and you have vendors who are providing those IT infrastructures developing that. And as we implement, there will be a time period where there's vulnerabilities that we don't catch right away. So that's the basis for saying why I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. But eventually it should get better. And the technology, after we um, go through our growing pains and see the areas that we've missed and we tighten those loopholes, it's kind of like when you introduce new rules, uh, there's loopholes that we don't necessarily readily uh, completely appreciate until it's out in the market and actively working. What other fraud detection and prevention advice would you give to providers as well as payers based on your extensive experience? What have we missed? I think overall you need to get uh, internal audit involved in, in looking at your systems. And one of the activities that I actually like to do with individual organizations is, uh, is have a roundtable discussion with their employees and simply ask the question, if you were going to steal, how would you do it? And you would be surprised what employees will report back in terms of where your loopholes or areas of vulnerability are in terms of access to your information systems. But globally, uh, your fraud risk assessment should be divided into two categories. What exposure do I have to internal fraud schemes? What exposure do I have to external? And when you look at external, you're looking at both your vendor relationships and and, in addition to your your customer relationships. And then third parties, who can access it? So it's it's an internal assessment and an external assessment, and they really should be done contemporaneously. And then um, in addition to that, any information that you're handling, either electronic, paper, verbal, fax, uh, I think telephonic, if I mentioned that, in an in internet, in internet space, you need to evaluate what audit trail do I have to go back and at least mitigate. Lying, cheating, and stealing is as old as time. We've never had a market where we didn't have those behaviors. So really the question is, uh, I think there was one report by the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners that it takes 18 months for a fraud to materialize when, you, and when it comes to employee theft, as an example. Well, then the goal should be, do we have an infrastructure that takes 18 months to 12? And when we get to 12, you want to move it down to 6 and so forth and get it down that you stop the bleeding, ideally within the first 30 days, as opposed to something that lingers on for six months, let alone is never found at all. Well, very good. Thanks, Rebecca. We've been talking today with Rebecca Bush of Medical Business Associates. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so much for listening.